let's go ahead and get started. We will have a word of prayer, and then uh, we will begin. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we're so very thankful, Lord, to have the opportunity tonight to study the book of Acts. We pray, Father, that as we uh, delve into it this evening, that we will find those things that are beneficial, that we will be strengthened, more able to defend your word, and that we will grow from it spiritually. Our Father, may we do all to your glory. We pray that we will be forgiven of our sins, that we will let our light shine to those around us. We pray that you'll strengthen our elders, strengthen each member here as we deal with the struggles of this life and as we seek to be faithful to you. Our Father, we ask your blessings on this country at this time. We pray that you will be with our leaders as decisions are made. We pray that things will go well for Christianity, that we may lead a peaceable and quiet life. Our Father, we ask that you'll be with us the rest of this evening. Take us home safely, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we are in Acts chapter 16, and this is Paul's second missionary journey. Just to bring us up to speed very quickly, Paul is traveling. Paul and Barnabas said, let's go back and visit the congregations that we saw on, that we established on the first journey. And of course, they had a... Uh, a confrontation between the two of them, a sharp disagreement, and Barnabas ends up going with John Mark, and Paul ends up going with who? Who's his new partner? Silas, that's right. So Paul and Silas are beginning the second missionary journey. Now, as we zoom in here, they're going to leave from Antioch, which is right here. This is the home base. Let's see if I can get, there we go. Here's Antioch. And then they're going to travel. They go through Tarsus, which of course is where Paul is from originally. Then they travel over to Lystra, and this is where they're going to pick up uh, Timothy. Timothy's going to join them. As they continue to travel, they're going to go through Asia. The Holy Spirit tells them not to uh, go down into Asia, but to keep traveling. They come to Troas, and when they get here, they're going to see um, a vision from God, a man and a vision that is going to say, come to Macedonia. This is Macedonia over here. And that's where we get the uh, phrase, the Macedonian call. In fact, I was trying to think, don't we have a song that has something about the Macedonian call in it? Send the light. Okay. I was trying my hardest today to think of that song but I could not remember it. But that's what it's a reference to, the Macedonian call. So they're going to come to Macedonia, and when they get here, you're, you see Philippi, and they're going to go to Philippi. And of course, in Philippi, when they get there, there is no synagogue, and so what they do is they go to the riverside. And Acts 16, 13 says, on the Sabbath day, they went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. They went on the Sabbath because that's when Jews met together. Since there wasn't a synagogue, they knew there would not be many Jews, but they went to see those who were there. All right, uh, verse 13, that they went and they sat down and they spoke to women there. Apparently, all of the Jews who were present were women. Verse 14, they met a certain woman named Lydia. She heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira. She worshiped God. And then, verse 14 says, the Lord opened her heart. And that is about where we left off last night, or last week. We spent a lot of time talking about this phrase, that the Lord opened her heart. This verse is commonly used by the denominational world to teach 
that the Holy Spirit has to operate on the heart of a, a person to enable them to receive the gospel. That's not what it says, though. It simply says the Holy Spirit opened her heart. The question is, how did the Holy Spirit open her heart? And if you keep reading, what you see is to heed the things spoken by Paul. The Holy Spirit revealed a message. Remember, at that time, they were speaking by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, the Holy Spirit is speaking miraculously through Paul. She hears that message delivered by the Holy Spirit, and it opened her heart. Today, the Holy Spirit is not speaking to us directly, but the words of the Holy Spirit were written down. And so, how, does, how are we reached by the Word of God today? Ephesians 3, 4, this is a verse you ought to put in your memory, whereby when you read, you may understand. What do you need to do today to understand the Word of God? Do you have to have the Holy Spirit work on your heart? No, what do you need to do? Okay, you need to study it. If you read it, you can understand it. This is um, interesting too. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17, this is about the Christian armor. He says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. If you think about a sword, what is a sword? It's a weapon. If a person goes and uses this weapon, this is their tool they're going to use to do their work, to defend themselves. He says, take the sword of the Spirit. What is the Spirit there? What's that referring to? What is the Spirit? This is the Holy Spirit. So he's talking about the sword, the tool, the instrument of the Holy Spirit is what? The Word of God. So how is the Holy Spirit going to work? What is His tool? What is His weapon? It is the Word of God. The Holy Spirit works through the Word of God. And so at that point, the Holy Spirit was working through the Word of God directly. He was inspiring. The words of the Holy Spirit uh, was com were coming from them directly. Once they were written down, the Holy Spirit is still working, but through the pages of the Scripture. And so the tool, the instrument, the sword of the Holy Spirit is the Word of God. All right, uh, verse number 15, we're going to pick up there tonight, and let's see, where is my reader? Okay, right over here. Uh, verse 15, let's, uh, let's continue there, if you don't mind. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And so she persuaded us. All right. Boy, he's got that good deep voice. I tell you what, uh, I'll let him read every week now. You know, I'm going to be leading singing tonight. And I obeyed the gospel in 1986, and I have never led singing in the worship services. And so I can speak and I can teach class. But thinking about singing really makes me nervous. And so if I bomb it tonight, this might be the last time that I ever lead singing. But I have practiced these songs probably 25 times today. Someone said, did you practice the songs more than you practiced your lesson? Absolutely, I did. So, <laughs> yes, um, Mindy uh, called me and she said, do you know they have you down for singing? 
And I thought, well, I don't like the tone of your voice. <laughs> so, uh, yes, I, I did know that. So I'm stretching myself. We've got to do that, right? Okay, verse 15, and when she and her household were baptized. And so the Lord opened her heart. How? Through the words that were spoken. The same thing happens today. We hear the word of God. Some people harden their heart to it. Some people's hearts are softened by it. And some people open their heart to it. So her heart was opened by the word of God. And as a result, she received it. She was baptized. She obeyed the gospel. And then she said to Paul, if you have judged us to be faithful, come and stay in my house. And he says, she persuaded us. Now, here's a couple of questions that come up. Number one, how long does it take to learn how to become a Christian? How long did it take her? Okay. Um, well, that's a good thing to say um, because she's a Jew, and so she did have some background. So that's important to say. If you started with someone who did not know anything or someone who is an atheist, it might take longer. But here's a person who has some religious background. How long did it take her to obey the gospel? Did these studies go on for weeks, days, maybe hours, I don't know. But it was within one day she ends up obeying the gospel. The reason I even make that point is I have studied with people on many occasions, and we will go through the plan of salvation. We'll talk about the one church, and we will cover everything that they need to know, and they will say, I just don't think I know enough. I, I've got to know more. You don't have to know the entire New Testament to become a Christian. The things that are necessary to become a Christian are basic. You need to know about the one church. You need to know about sin, about uh, the virgin birth, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the plan of salvation, and then you are ready to go. Now, there's lots of other things that you will learn, and it's a journey that's just beginning. But some people think that they've got to know it all before they become a child of God. And that can be a real stumbling block. So I like to point out to them, when you go through the New Testament, everyone that I can think about, every conversion account, they do it on the day that they are taught. And so the basics to become a Christian uh, can be learned in a short amount of time. All right? How long did she wait to be baptized? After she knew, how long did she wait? Okay, apparently... She did it right then. Why is that important? Because sometimes what you see in the religious world is they will wait um, a week, a month. They'll wait till they've got a lot of people gathered together, and then they will have a baptism. That's not what you see ever in the book of Acts or in the Bible. They always were baptized immediately. That is also something that's important. I saw a member of the church, in fact, it was a guy who graduated from the Memphis School of Preaching, posted something on Facebook recently, maybe two weeks ago. Y'all might have seen it, but he worked somewhere where they're near the, I think, near the Gulf. And he posted, uh, coming up on such and such a day, we're going to have baptisms in the Gulf. If you would like to be baptized in the Gulf, you can come at that time. And I thought, that really troubles me. I never in the Bible saw, you can, if you need to be baptized, you know, come on such and such a date. They always did it immediately. And so they're doing something different from what I see in the New Testament. Now, a third thing I see about this passage is 
Sometimes people appeal to this passage to justify infant baptism. Where would you get where where do you think they would get infant baptism out of this verse? Okay, because it says that her household was baptized. Why would they go there to get infant baptism? What's that? Okay, there's an assumption being made. Justin said, did she have infants? Text doesn't say. I'll tell you why they go there to try to justify infant baptism. It's because there's no account of infant baptism in the New Testament. And so if you're looking for it, where are you going to go? There is no account to go to, so you would look and say, well, the whole household was baptized, and so that would include infants. Nothing is ever said about infants. And when you think about it, before a person obeys the gospel, when you read, you may understand. There's an understanding that has to take place. A person has to repent. Can an infant repent? Infant doesn't have sense to repent of. And so they've got to hear the gospel. They've got to be able to reason about it. They've got to be able to repent of their sins. They've got to understand the death and burial and resurrection. An infant can't do any of those things. So the requirement itself teaches us that an infant is not amenable to the plan of salvation. Okay, let's go to the next verse, 16. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. Okay, they're continuing to travel. They are going to pray, and it says there's a certain slave girl. She is possessed. Now, when, when we read that she's a slave girl, some men own her, and they are using her. She's got a spirit of divination. It appears that she has a demon possession, which is something they had in that time. This says a spirit of divination... This is a very interesting word because it carries with it the idea, the literal meaning is the spirit of Python. That's what this means if you look it up in the Greek. Uh, Python was a spirit that traditionally guarded Delphi. This has to do with Greek mythology. The Python was a dragon which was slain by Apollo. Um, and because of this, they believed that there were special powers. Now, when I read this, I know that this Greek mythology is not real. I know that this fake God is not real. So when I read that she had this spirit within her, and it says that um, she was a fortune teller, they used her for fortune telling. This is apparently what happened. Well, before I explain it, let me ask some questions because this raises a lot of questions. Number one, who is this girl? Number two, what is going on with her? Number three, did she really have the power to tell the future? Did she have a, did, did, did this demon that was dwelling in her give her this power? So a lot of questions that come up about this girl. Did the demon that was in her give her this power? No. Could she speak some things that would really wow people? Yeah. She had some unusual power, but telling the future would not have been one of them. It seems that this is what happened. In the first century, when demons were allowed to possess people, the demons did have some supernatural power. Do you remember when 
uh, they would run across a demon or Jesus would run across a demon, what would the demon say? Remember in Mark chapter 5, he runs across a man and, and he says, what is your name? He says, we are legion. There's a lot of demons in this man. What did that demon say to Jesus or those demons say to Jesus? Okay. He, he's called, they refer to him sometimes as the most high God. What did you say, Patrick? Okay, what are you going to do? Are you going to torment us before the time? What does that mean? They knew some things about eternity. They knew that they were going to be punished eternally. They knew God. They knew Jesus. There were some things in the spirit realm that they did know about. So there is some supernatural power. Did demons have the ability to tell the future? There is no indication that demons had the ability to tell the future. You know, something that came to my mind today was uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18. I think it's 18 through 20, somewhere in there. One of the tests of a false prophet or a real prophet was this. If a prophet tells something and it consistently comes to pass, he's a true prophet and God is with him. If he tells things that don't come to pass, he's a false prophet and you should not fear him because God is not with him. What would that tell you? about a demon or a false entity's ability to tell the future. He doesn't have it. God didn't give him that ability because he said one of the tests of a true prophet is if he can tell the future and he knows what's going to come to pass, that's a sign that God is with him. I conclude from that that demons did not have this ability. So what's going on with this woman? These men are using her as a fortune teller, I think what is happening, number one, you've got some very cruel men. They're using her as a slave. She's possessed by a demon. What do you know about a person who was possessed by a demon in the first century? What was it like for that person? What were they enduring? Okay. They, they couldn't control themselves. What would happen to them? They would hurt themselves. Sometimes the Bible says they cut themselves. You remember in Matthew 17, while Jesus is up on the Mount of uh, Transfiguration, that the other apostles who were late waiting at the base of the mountain, they brought a man who had uh, a demon, and his dad said that he would throw himself into the fire. It, either he was throwing himself into the fire so that the demon would leave, or the demon's throwing him into the fire. Remember, sometimes uh, they would break chains. They lived in the tombs. A person who had a demon possession was tormented by this. They would have acted crazy. Sometimes they didn't have their clothes on. This is a person who's going to act like they're out of their mind. The demon is tormenting them. So here's this girl, and she's got a demon in her. And the demons had some knowledge of the spirit realm. It seems that they were using this girl, and they were saying... She has the spirit of Python in her. Come to us and pay us money and we can tell your fortune. And so they're keeping this girl as a slave and they're using her as a source of income. Did she really have this ability? I don't think she had this ability. Were they lying about it? Are they the type of men that would lie about this? Yeah. Do people still do this today? Yeah, people still do this today. 
and they like, and do people believe it? Yeah, this is nothing new. This has been going on forever. And so this woman, it says, uh, is possessed. She's got a spirit of divination. Her masters used her for fortune telling. Now let's read uh, verse 17, 17 and 18. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. All right, this raises many questions to me. Number one, why was she following them? Here are Paul and Silas, and they're going to preach. And this slave girl who has a demon is following them and just yelling out, these are servants of the Most High God. These are servants of the Most High God. Why is she doing that? Number two, why did it annoy Paul so much? Number three, why did he let it go on for many days? Number four, why does he finally cast the demon out? A lot of questions here. Number one, let's talk about this. Why is she doing this? Why is this demon following them saying, this is the servants of the Most High God? Was she doing it or were the demons doing it? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. We know that demons did know Jesus. They did know that he was um, deity, and they knew that he was the one who was going to punish them. Do you remember, and we haven't gotten to Acts 19 yet, but you remember there were some vagabond Jews there, and they decided that they were going to cast out demons. And so they went to these de the demon, the demon-possessed man, and they said, we adjure thee by the Most High God whom Paul preaches, come out of this man. You remember what the demon said? Paul we know, and Jesus we know, but we don't know you. The demon said, we know about the Apostle Paul. We know about Jesus, but we don't know who in the world you are. And the demons leapt, leaped on him. Leapt, is that a word? They, they leaped on him, and they roughed him up, and they tore his clothes off, or tore their clothes off, and they ran out naked. But it's interesting, the spirits knew about the Apostle Paul. The demons knew about Jesus. Anyway, this girl is following them and yelling, these are servants of the Most High God. Secondly, why does Paul not like this? Is it true what she's saying? Yeah, it's true. Anything wrong with her acknowledging these are servants of the Most High God? Why, would, uh, why does Paul not like it? Okay, well, I hadn't thought about that, but it could be. She's yelling out, these are servants of the Most High God. It could cause trouble. What else do you think? Yeah, uh, that went through my mind. In fact, I think that's probably most of it, is the association. Do you really want the endorsement of demons? I, I thought, too, it, it would be a nuisance, wouldn't it? <laughs> If you've got this woman who is constantly yelling, these are servants of the Most High God, it would be a nuisance. But I think there are some people whose endorsement you don't want. Is that true? Do you remember, uh, it crossed my mind during the campaign when Donald Trump was running, do you remember that someone from the KKK was endorsing Donald Trump? Was that in his favor? That did not help him. 
that the KKK was endorsing him. And he eventually came out and he said, no, I don't want anything to do with them. He was a little bit slow in coming out and doing it. And so some people criticized him for that. But the point is, there are some endorsements you don't really want. And I'm kind of thinking that's what's going on here, that you don't want the demons endorsing you. This is, this is not a good thing. Finally, he commands them to come out in the name of Jesus Christ, and the demon could not ignore it. By the authority of Christ, the demon came out. Verse 19. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Okay, this girl had a demon, and it was tormenting this poor girl. When the demon finally came out, what would her condition be like now? How would she feel? She's in her right mind. This has got to be wonderful for her. Did the men who were holding her as a prisoner, did they celebrate and they were happy that she finally got rid of this demon? If they cared anything about her, they would have because everything you read in the Bible about being tormented by a demon or having a demon was terrible. So when this happened, she's relieved. She's in a better condition. Did these men take joy in the fact that she's better? No. All they cared about was the money. They couldn't use her to fool people anymore, and they couldn't use her to make money, and it seems like they're getting rich off of the fact that she had a demon. Chapter Verse 20. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And 21. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Okay, they go to the government. They go to the magistrates, and they say, uh, these men, they're Jews, and they're causing trouble in our city, and they're teaching customs, which it's not lawful for us as Romans to, to do, to observe. So they bring up the fact that they're Jews. They say... They're teaching custom. They're, they're bringing up their teaching. Is that the real reason that they have gone to the magistrates? Do they care anything about the religious aspects of what Paul and Silas are teaching? Are they really bothered by that? If Paul and Silas had not cast the demon out of their source of income, would they have given uh, any care, any concern about this? Not one bit. They don't care about that. So why did they go and say this? Okay, hurt their money. So why did they pick these things? Why did they say the Romans? Why did they say it's not lawful? What's that? Somehow you've got to stir up the government. Somehow you've got to get them involved. You remember when the Jews were trying to get Jesus in trouble with Pilate? What did, what did they say? He says he's a king. He said he's going to tear down the temple. What are they doing? They're trying to come up with something that would upset the government. So they went to the magistrates and said, they're teaching things that are unlawful. Now, what I read is that the Romans were not supposed to become Jews. That was not lawful. The Jews were allowed to practice their religion, but they were not supposed to make converts. And maybe they're latching onto that, and they said, hey... These people are teaching Judaism. At that point in time, so many Jews had become Christians, 
They couldn't tell the difference. Christianity, Judaism, it was all one and the same in people's minds. All right? So they go to the magistrates. They stir up this trouble. Verse 22. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. Go ahead and read through 24. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. All right. So they come to them, they tear their clothes off of them so that they can beat them on their bare skin. It says many stripes. They hit them with rods a lot of times. Then they put them in the inner prison. I was reading about this today, that there were three levels to the prison. There was an outer prison where you had bars and you actually could see the sun and uh, breathe air. Then they had a, a more confined prison behind another set of gates. And then they had the inner prison, which was like a dungeon. They put them in there where you had very little light. And then it says they put their feet in the stocks. And I think you know what it's talking about with the stocks. It would be uh, wood, and it would clamp down. Your legs would be sticking out. So keep this in mind. They have been beaten a lot with sticks. They have probably, they're probably bleeding. They get put in the inner prison. They are in a very miserable condition. And here's my question. Why? What have they done against the government to bring this ridiculous reaction? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Yes, sir. That's exactly. He said, you know, he's a just man. I can't find anything. But they wanted blood. They said, crucify him. Give us Barabbas. Right? Verse 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Oh, man, there's so much here. Can you imagine you've been beaten up with rods? You haven't done anything. Maybe, you know, uh, somebody made the comment, why did Paul wait so long to cast the demon out of this girl? Maybe it's because of this. He's trying to teach, and he knew that if he did, this is where it was headed. Anyway, they're in prison. They've been beaten. They're in the inner prison. It's midnight. And what are Paul and Silas doing? They're singing praises to God, and they're praying. Can you imagine singing under these circumstances? How would you feel under these circumstances? You are completely innocent, and you've just been beaten with rods a lot and thrown into the inner prison. Exhausted, hurt, angry, bitter but they're singing. And then it says, the prisoners were listening to them. What can you draw from that? Isn't it the case that those around us are watching us? Whatever we're doing, what if they had been cursing the authorities? What if they had been mocking the authorities? Could you imagine under those circumstances if this has happened to you and you had been beaten and you were in the inner prison and you're there with your partner, your buddy you're traveling with, what might you be saying? 
And how are people going to be watching and listening to them and listening to their reaction? And what would be a modern-day application? How do we talk about the church? How do we talk about the elders? How do we talk about the preacher? Do people watch us? Do they listen to us? This has happened, and what they see, the spirit of these men, is that they're singing. Has this, is this going to make an impression on them? All of this has happened, and they're enduring it, and they are not shaken. All right? Verse 26. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake. <laughs> okay. Um, it just occurred to me. I said they were not shaken. Then it says suddenly there was a great earthquake. So um, their, their uh, faith was not shaken. Okay. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake. And so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loose. Imagine being in the prison, and the earth starts shaking. This would be very disturbing. It's scary. These men have been singing. You know what's going on, because people are going to ask about this. Word spreads. Who are these men? What are they doing? They're singing. The earth shakes, and then you see your chains just fall off. What kind of earthquake makes your chains and your stocks and everything just fall off? Okay, this is something that God did. I think this is obvious in people's minds. This is something that God did. Verse 27. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Okay, this is the Philippian jailer. When he's been sleeping, the earthquake wakes him up. He looks, the doors are open. What immediately goes through his mind? Everybody's gone, of course. He pulls his sword out. He's about to commit suicide. I want you to think about this. If a person is going to commit suicide, this person has gone through some serious stress in his mind. He's got to be thinking about what's next. You remember in Acts chapter 12, Peter got arrested. He's put in the prison. An angel escorted him out. Do you remember what happened to the, the guards? Herod commanded they be killed. They were put to death. You know what's going to happen to a Roman? Was this the Roman soldier's fault that this happened? That If they had escaped, was, would that have been the jailer's fault? He was negligent and caused, no. But you know what? It didn't matter. He knew he was going to be humiliated. He was going to be put to death for this. I've got the idea he went through a moment of extreme stress. If you think your life is fine, and then all of a sudden you reach the point that you're going to kill yourself, can you imagine the angst and the stress that you are going through? The Bible says in just a moment in the next verse, he goes to Paul and Silas and he falls down trembling. Why is this man trembling? I'm tell. What's that? Well, they're about to save his life because Paul is going to, Paul sees it and he says, do yourself no harm. How did Paul see it? Paul had been in the inner prison. How did Paul see it? I'm assuming all the gates are open. Paul must walk to the, to the gate, but they're all standing there. Nobody leaves. Here's the next question. Why did no one leave? If you're in the prison, the gates are open. All your chains have fallen off. The, guard, the uh, jailer assumes you left. Why? Apparently you had opportunity to. Why didn't they leave? I don't know. Except, obviously this is miraculous. Maybe Paul said, stay. 
I don't know. We don't know the answers to these questions. But we're going to stop right there because the bell rang. Next week, we've got a missionary from Guyana who's going to be reporting. But we will pick up there in two weeks where the chains fell off. All right, thanks.